listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Leviticus 23, verses 1 through 21. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed festivals of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations, my appointed festivals. The Sabbath, Passover, and unleavened bread. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work, It is a Sabbath to the Lord throughout your settlements. These are the appointed festivals of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall celebrate at the time appointed for them. In the first month on the 14th day of the month at twilight, there shall be a Passover offering to the Lord. And on the 15th day of the same month is the festival of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not work at your occupations. For seven days you shall present the Lord's offerings by fire. And on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall not work at your occupations. The offering of first fruits. The Lord spoke to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land that I am giving you and you reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall raise the sheaf before the Lord that you may find acceptance. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall raise it. On the day when you raise the sheaf, you shall offer a lamb a year old without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah of choice flour mixed with oil, an offering by fire of pleasing odor to the Lord. And the drink offering with it shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. You shall eat no bread or parched grain or fresh ears until that very day. Until you have brought the offering of your God, it is a statute forever throughout your generations to all your settlements. And from the day after the, excuse me, the festival of weeks, and from the day after the Sabbath, from the day on which you bring the sheaf of the elevation offering, you shall count off seven weeks, and they shall be complete. You shall count until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days. Then you shall present an offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring forth From your settlements, two loaves of bread as an elevation offering, each made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of choice flour baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. You shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord along with the grain offering and their drink offerings an offering by fire of pleasing odor to the Lord. You shall also offer one male goat for a sin offering 
and two male lambs a year old as a sacrifice of well-being. The priest shall raise them with the bread of the first fruits as an elevation offering before the Lord, together with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. On that same day you shall make proclamation. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not work at your occupations. This is a statute forever in all your settlements throughout your generations. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks for that reading, Ron. So um, I've heard from a number of folks in the congregation uh, over the last two weeks, and the question that keeps coming up is, when are we going to be done with Leviticus? (laughs) Um, Apparently all this talk about, you know, sacrifices and entrails and sex and bodily fluids, apparently some of us are kind of done with all that. Um, Of course, there's also folks who are loving this. I've heard from you as well. you sick freaks are my people. Uh, but uh, just to give you a sense, though, of, of what's coming up, uh, including today, we have three more weeks in Leviticus, including today. Uh, so this is going to take us right through the first week of September. And then the current plan for the fall and beyond is the Gospel of Mark. So that's coming. Jesus is coming. First, we've got to get through Leviticus, though. <clears throat> um, and today we are talking about sacred time. Now, Ron just read us a portion of Leviticus 23, which is this chapter, it goes on from there, um, outlining the calendar of ancient Israel, all these feasts and festivals. I don't know about you, but I don't usually get that excited about calendars, right? Like a day planner is not exactly thrilling to read. But the ancient Israelites thought about calendars, they thought about time in a very unique way, especially when it comes to sacred time. When I hear the phrase sacred time, my mind immediately goes back to childhood. I remember uh, friends and family who are no longer with us. I think about family dinners, my grandparents. That's where my mind, where my heart goes when I think about sacred time. I remember how like every year as a kid on Christmas Eve, we decorate the Christmas tree together And then my whole family would have dinner at Pizza Hut for some reason. (laughs) I'm not sure. I'm not sure why we always had dinner on Christmas Eve at Pizza Hut. Mom is here today, though, so we could ask her. Um, But I loved it as a kid. It was amazing. When I think of sacred time, I think about family. I think about holidays. I think about big dinners around the table. And I think about getting my very own personal pan pizza from pizza. Look at that thing. I know, I know it's kind of gross, but for like an eight-year-old kid in the early 90s, this was a feast. Pizza Hut, by the way, not a paid sponsor, just so we're, just so we're clear. Um, <clears throat> in a similar way, though, the calendar of ancient Israel was also centered around feasts. They weren't eating pizza, but like they were, they were feasting together. These celebrations, these feasts, these festivals, times throughout the year when the Israelites would get together with their friends and their family around the table, they'd have a big meal and they'd remember their history. These were the times when the space between God and human beings became thin. The festivals are split between the fall and the spring. We get four feasts, four festivals in the spring. 
There's the festival of Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and the feast of weeks. Those are the ones that Ron just read for us. Then we get three feasts in the fall. Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. You don't have to remember any of this, by the way. There's not going to be like a test or anything like that. You don't have to take notes. Um, But I would like to point out how many feasts there are. Anyone count them up? Seven, right? Because of course there are. It's always seven. Seven is like the magic number in the Bible. We always see sevens. It's like God's number or something. So, of course, there's seven. In fact, you might have noticed uh, with the scripture reading, it actually starts out talking about the Sabbath for some reason. For some reason, the Sabbath is grouped in with all of these festivals. That's because some people link Passover and unleavened bread together. Some people argue that those first two festivals are really just one. And the authors of Leviticus were so obsessed with getting to seven that they threw in the Sabbath, which is like a little mini festival, so that no matter how you counted this, you got to seven. There's either seven festivals, or you combine those first two, and then it's six with the Sabbath, so seven. I thought that was kind of funny. There's like, there's a level of like numerical neuroses at work here that I really appreciate for some reason. Now, all these festivals uh, were connected to the harvest, that rhythm of planting and growing and harvesting and then planting and growing and harvesting that was so crucial to life in an ancient agrarian society. But in addition to being linked with the harvest, these festivals were also connected to important stories, important moments in Israel's history. In the spring, we start with Passover, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. These two festivals always happen on back-to-back days in March or April. There we go. Um, And they celebrate the Passover and the deliverance of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. How many of us here are familiar with the Passover story? That's like Moses, Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston. You might have seen the the film version of this. Um, It's actually a pretty dark story. Uh, It's the tenth plague on Egypt. where the angel of the Lord swept through the land of Egypt and killed all the firstborn. Um, this was like the last, the last plague that finally made Pharaoh release the Israelite slaves. And the Israelites, what they did is they took the blood of a lamb and they painted it over their doorposts that night so that the angel of the Lord, when it swept through, would pass over their houses. So they got together The Israelites had a big dinner in their houses, and then they baked bread, but they didn't put any yeast in it because they knew they'd have to flee the next morning, and so they wouldn't have time for the bread to rise. So they ate unleavened bread. And every year since then, to this day, which is wild to think about, our Jewish friends, our Jewish neighbors get together in their houses for a big dinner, And then for the following week, they feast, they party, but they also eat unleavened bread, this flat, hard, crappy bread with no yeast in it to remember that they were once slaves. That's Passover and unleavened bread. Right after that, you get first fruits, 
uh, which is this celebration where the Israelites would bring the first fruits of their harvest and they would offer it to God as a sign of thanksgiving. So that's another day of feasting and celebrating and rest that comes right at the beginning of the harvest season, which must have been kind of nice. Then seven weeks after that, because seven, right, you get the Festival of Weeks, which is also called Pentecost. Uh, That's another day of rest and feasting and celebration right toward the end of the harvest. So you get these three or four feasts in the spring, and then we get three feasts in the fall, um, all of which happen to come in the seventh month, because of course they do, right? Sevens. We still following with all all this information and all these sevens? Good. I'll take the blank stares as as an affirmation. All right, so you get, you get three or four feasts in the spring. Then there's three in the fall. The fall feasts start with the Feast of Trumpets, which is also known as Rosh Hashanah, or Jewish New Year. This is a party uh, where people will go around, it's usually in September or October, and they take these trumpets made out of, like, horns, and they would blow them to celebrate the New Year. And in case that sounds kind of random or obnoxious, let me just remind you, Right? Like, we, we still do this. We still do this on New Year. We blow, well, it's not a ram's horn, but we blow these little cheap plastic things. Anyway, that is Rosh Hashanah, Jewish New Year, <clears throat> trumpets. Then, uh, 10 days after the Feast of Trumpets, you get the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which we talked about in here a few weeks ago. This is where, remember, when we brought the goat into the sanctuary and it pooped on the carpet? How could you forget, right? Um, that is the Day of Atonement where they would bring a goat into the temple and the priest would confess the sins of the people over the goat and then the goat would be led into the wilderness where it would be released carrying the sins of the people away, right? And then finally, the last of the fall festivals is the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a fancy word for tent. Tabernacle is a tent. And during this feast, the Israelites every year would build tents outside, little booths, and they would sleep outside for a week and party the whole time to remember the Exodus story and how God camped with them, tabernacled with them in the wilderness. So that is your crash course on the Feast of Ancient Israel. Now, I want to point out something about this that might be a little obvious. This calendar looks nothing like the calendars we use today, right? Like, this has nothing to do with us. The way we count time today could not be more different. There's the obvious stuff. Like, we don't celebrate Rosh Hashanah anymore, at least not in the church. Uh, We don't do all these feasts like Passover and all of that. But on a much more fundamental level, on a much more basic level, The calendar that's given to us in the Bible looks nothing like the calendars we follow today. These boring, you know, almost like sterile-looking calendars that we find today, right? Our calendars are basically structured on the work week, right? 9 to 5, 40 hours, Monday to Friday. We work, we work, and we work, and then maybe... If we're lucky, if we get all of our work done, then maybe we'll get to enjoy a federal holiday. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. 
good to have a holiday, but like so much work, right? Our calendar is structured around the work week when the ancient Israelite calendar was structured around rest. It was structured around Sabbath, sacred time. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to encounter the sacred today? How rarely we seem to actually experience God in any kind of tangible way? Like it was easy when we were kids, right? These sacred times you remember from our childhood, there was wonder. Everything was big. God seemed so close. But then we grew up, we got jobs, we maybe had kids, we got tired and jaded, and somewhere along the way we lost the sacred. We still try to force it, to like manufacture it. Um, Some churches will use like fog machines and lights. Others will use incense and bells. But for most people, God still feels distant. There's still this sense that God is far away. I hear this from people all the time. I don't see God's presence in my life. I don't feel God. I'm not even sure if God exists. I've had these thoughts before. We start to think that maybe there's something wrong with us. Maybe we don't have enough faith. Maybe um, if I just pray more, if I read the Bible more, or if I meditate, then maybe God will show up. But what if the problem is that we're counting time wrong? We've structured our lives around work. 40, 50, sometimes 60 hours a week, constant distractions, all the stress, the demands on our time and our energy. And then we wonder, like, why don't I experience God? And I know we have a lot of retirees in this room. Where are my retirees at? Let out a woo, there you go. Yeah, we got a lot of retired people here. This applies to you too. You might be sitting there thinking like, 40-hour work week, that's not my life anymore. But I hear the same stuff from retired people that I hear from, like, working moms and dads in their 30s. We spend decades in this cycle of work where we condition ourselves not to notice the sacred, and then we retire, and we wonder, why does God still feel distant? When the Israelites put together their calendar, they centered it on rest, on Sabbath, They structured their calendar around the sacred, and they weren't the only ones. The early church, the first Christians, when they thought about time, when they thought about how to spend their time, how to structure their calendar, when they told the story of Jesus, they structured it around this. Check this out. This kind of blew my mind when I stumbled on this. All the feasts in Leviticus 23 line up with events in the life of Jesus. You might not have noticed that. The spring ones are pretty obvious, though. Uh, The spring feasts begin with Passover and unleavened bread. When our Jewish friends remember the Passover and they remember the lamb whose blood sheltered them and secured their liberation. What does that sound like? The cross, right? Yeah. That sounds like when Jesus, the lamb of God, spilled his blood to secure our liberation. 
When Jesus got arrested, he had just finished celebrating the Passover with his disciples. The Last Supper was a Seder. So Jesus dies. A few days later, we get the Festival of First Fruits. It's a festival where the Israelites take something that came out of the ground as a symbol of new life, and they celebrate it. What does that sound like? The resurrection. Yes, Easter Sunday, the empty tomb when Jesus rose from the dead as the first fruits of the resurrection. This is the language we find in the New Testament. Fifty days later, when our Jewish friends are celebrating Pentecost, that's when the church celebrates Pentecost. It's the same thing. We use the same word for it. But Pentecost, right? That is where after Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes down as little tongues of fire, and it settles on the first disciples. I have a tattoo of a tongue of fire on my elbow for Pentecost. That happened during the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost. When the early church told the story of Jesus, when they told the story of their salvation, they did it with an eye to Israel's story of salvation. Is this blowing anyone else's mind, or is it just me? Because like when I, when I came across this, I was like, holy goodness. <laughs> Um, So, we covered the spring festivals. What about the fall ones? The Israelites had a sacred season in the spring and the fall. We do the same thing, by the way, with Lent and Advent, right? We have our own sacred season leading up to Easter in the spring and Advent in the fall slash winter. So you might think, since the spring stuff lines up so well with Lent and Easter, maybe the fall stuff is Advent, but it's actually something different. When the early church looked at the fall festivals, they saw parallels with the second coming of Jesus. The fall festivals begin with trumpets, right? This party where people go around blowing trumpets. And in the Bible, when Jesus comes back, when we get these visions of the second coming, what's the first thing that always happens? I could blow it again. Trumpets, right? There's always angels in these visions blowing trumpets to announce the return of Jesus. Then we get the Day of Atonement, where the priest goes in the temple, does the thing with the goat, and the sins of the people are washed away, which sounds an awful lot like when Jesus goes into the heavenly temple and wipes away all sin forever. And then what's the last feast? Tabernacles which celebrates when God resided with Israel, when God camped with them, dwelled with them. If you go to the very end of the Bible, the last chapter or two of the book of Revelation, you get this vision of the Feast of Tabernacles on steroids, where heaven comes down to earth and God literally dwells with the people forever. I know we're not all boned up on this stuff, You might not know every beat of this story, and that's fine. If this is brand new information to you, no worries. Stick around here, and you are going to learn the beats of this story over time. But the point is that the calendar of ancient Israel is telling us a story. It's the same story the first Christians were telling about Jesus, and it's the exact same story we draw hope from today. Back to all that stuff about God feeling distant. 
about maybe we're following the wrong calendar. How do we make this story real for us? How do we ground ourselves in this story the way the Israelites and the first Christians were grounded in it? The first thing we need to do, if we want to ground ourselves in sacred time, if we want to experience God, the first thing we need to do is rest. Let me say that again for the people in the back. If God is feeling distant, if you're having a hard time experiencing the sacred, experiencing the divine, the first thing you need to do is rest. Stop moving. Stop working. Stop trying so hard. And just rest. Every one of the festivals in Leviticus begins with a command to rest. Stop what you're doing, take a break, take a Sabbath, and just rest. Just be. Just exist. Now, this might not be possible for everyone, right? Like, ideally, we'd all have a full day of rest. Ideally, we'd have a true Sabbath every week where you do no work, and you can just, like, have a big meal with your friends, do something you enjoy. That's not possible for everyone, right? If you work in the gig economy and your uh, schedule is too random, if you're working two or three jobs just to get by, you might not be able to take a full day Sabbath every single week. But whatever the case for you, however you're able, find some space to rest. Maybe it's not a full day, that's fine. Try getting eight hours of sleep a night. Try taking care of yourself physically. Maybe go see a therapist. Um, Eat better. Set aside smaller blocks of time, whatever you can do, where you do no work. Even if you're retired, this applies to you too. Incorporate some patterns of deliberate, intentional rest. Times when you break up your routine a little bit. If you really love to cook and you cook every day, take one day to eat out. Do no cooking. If you work in your garden every day, take one day where you don't work in your garden and you just enjoy it. Rest, worship, enjoy life. Heck, take a nap. Jesus napped all the time. We're going to see this in the Gospel of Mark. They're always like, where's Jesus? Oh, he's napping. Get some rest. (laughs) Once you build some rhythms of rest in your life, the next thing I'd really invite all of us to do is dive into the sacred days and seasons of the Christian calendar. If you're struggling to sense God's presence uh, and you've never really taken seasons like Advent and Lent very seriously, give it a try. See what happens. We're almost at fall, right? Doesn't feel like it, but like fall is coming. Pretty soon it's going to be like pumpkin spice, everything. Start planning for Advent now. It's the four weeks leading up to Christmas, basically December. Make a plan. Find an Advent devotional, something Christmas-themed. We will probably be reading one, a bunch of us here in church. Jump into that. You could take the season of Advent and read through one of the Gospels. Four weeks, you could knock out a Gospel. Um, You could try serving in some new way. Maybe in a soup kitchen. Maybe in kids' ministry. Who knows? For the month of December, try something new. 
You could use an advent calendar. You could light some candles. There are so many different things you can try to bring that season to life. At our house, we use an advent wreath. We got a little advent wreath uh, that we bring out uh, usually toward the end of November, and we put it on our dining room table. And then every night when we actually sit down to have dinner, which is not every night, but every night that we do, um, we light that wreath with the kids. The kids love it. Zeke especially loves the fire. Um, (laughs) I think we're raising a little pyromaniac. Um, But it is so much better than the hyper-consumeristic way most of us get into the Christmas season. Do something sacred. Dive into Advent. Next spring, dive into Lent. Try fasting. See what difference that makes. The goal isn't to manufacture something. We're not trying to, like, force a mystical experience. That doesn't work. I can't guarantee that if you light a couple candles, you'll encounter God. But it's kind of like exercise. The more you flex those muscles, the more you stick to a routine, the more you integrate this new pattern into your life, the more you intentionally tune your antenna to the sacred, the more you're going to start to see gains and maybe even experience God. That's sacred time. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for being a God who wants to encounter us. A God who doesn't just exist as an abstract idea or a concept, but as a person, a parent, and a friend. God, you created this world. You created the seasons. You created time itself. And you carved into time sacred spaces where we can draw close to you in a unique way. Lord, help us to break free of our distracted existence and to encounter you in the sacred spaces of our lives. May we find rest and peace in your presence, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.